all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Karen Brown with Dr. Michelle Owen, specialist in maternal fetal medicine and OBGYN at UMMC. Today's topic is one that touches friends and family in large numbers. It's something that can take hold of you and literally ruin your life. We're talking about alcoholism today with our guest, Dr. Shuley, Dr. Julie Schumacher from UMMC. She's a psychologist and research scientist who focuses on addiction and human behavior. You can uh, call us with your questions or comments at 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or if you'd like, send us an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to start the show right after news from NPR on MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. More than a year after conservative Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia died, his successor has been confirmed. Moments ago, the Senate's Republican majority voted to confirm Neil Gorsuch, Getting to this point required unprecedented action by the GOP, which lowered the threshold for advancing a nominee after Democrats and independents moved to block Gorsuch under longstanding rules. Both Republicans and Democrats are supporting President Trump's decision to order a missile strike on a Syrian base after this week's apparent chemical attack on civilians in a rebel-held area of Idlib. But NPR Susan Davis says several lawmakers warn that President Trump will need congressional approval if he wants to expand the military operation in Syria. The initial support for the strikes is tempered by bipartisan concerns about the administration's long-term strategy in Syria. Florida Republican Marco Rubio, a senior member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, says President Trump must offer a real and comprehensive strategy to remove Syrian President Bashar al-Assad from power and to sideline Russian influence in the region. A growing number of lawmakers also say the president must ask Congress for approval for any sustained military operations. President Obama tried that in 2013, but the effort was scuttled when his administration reached a deal with Russia to end Syria's chemical weapons program. That deal, as this week made clear, did not work. Susan Davis, Empire News, Washington. The missile strikes in Syria partially overshadowed President Trump's meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, but Trump says he's made tremendous progress. Here's NPR Scott Horsley. Trump's meeting with the Chinese president was bookended by meetings with his national security team and a public announcement of what Trump called a targeted military strike in Syria. Nevertheless, the president says his first face-to-face meeting with the Chinese leader was a good one, and they've begun to form what Trump calls an outstanding relationship. We look forward to being together many times in the future, and I believe lots of very potentially bad problems will be going away. Trump went into the meeting wanting to discuss the U.S. trade deficit with China and possible cooperation in containing North Korea's nuclear program. Scott Horsley, NPR News, 
Washington. U.S. coming off a slower-than-expected month for hires. Here's NPR's Chris Arnold. The numbers are decidedly weaker than expected. Many analysts were anticipating a slightly lower number this month because of bad weather in March, but 98,000 jobs, that's below just about anybody's forecast. And the previous two months were revised lower as well. So put all that together, and the average for the first three months of the year is now at 178,000 jobs per month, and that is much more tepid job growth than we thought for the start of the Trump administration. On a brighter note, though, year over year, wages were up 2.7 percent, so we are continuing to see wage growth that's better than it was for many years after the Great Recession. Chris Arnold, NPR News. This is NPR. Sweden's responding to an apparent terrorist attack. A truck crashed into an upscale department store in central Stockholm and sent panic crowds running into the streets. At least three people were killed. Several were injured. British police say a 31-year-old Romanian tourist who plunged into the Thames during an attack near the Parliament building nearly two weeks ago has died from her injuries. She is now the fifth person to have died after Khalid Massoud rammed his vehicle into a crowd on Westminster Bridge. He later killed a police officer before he was shot dead by police. South African political activists are calling for the ouster of their president, Jacob Zuma. In Durban, Peter Granite says several groups are staging protests across the country today. Zuma's grasp on power appeared to be weakening since he purged his cabinet last week. But with calls for impeachment, mass mobilization and no confidence votes in parliament, Zuma's African National Congress Party has promised to close ranks around him. There are marches scheduled for Pretoria, Johannesburg, Cape Town and Durban. March organizers say they will be peaceful, but the ANC structure has called them an incitement. An organization of liberation veterans has vowed to protect the ANC and Jacob Zuma. And the bombastic ANC Youth League said it would attack any protester who came close to its headquarters in Johannesburg. From PR News, I'm Peter Granitz in Durban. In the wake of a new labor report showing tepid growth last month, U.S. stocks are mixed. The Dow is up just nine points at 20,672. NASDAQ is off one point at 5877. S&P is up a fraction. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Mathnasium and its Learning Center franchisees, committed to the idea that when kids understand math, they enjoy it and do more of it, leading to mastery. There are 700 Mathnasium Learning Centers. Locations at mathnasium.com. This is Southern Remedy for Women with Dr. Michelle Owens on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for joining us this morning on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens and our guest, Dr. Shuley. Last time I've done this twice now. Dr. Julie Schumacher. (laughs) She is a psychologist and she specializes in addiction and human behavior. And we're very uh, focused today on alcoholism. So obviously this is a very personal, serious topic. We invite your phone calls with questions. If you are a loved one concerned about another loved one or a friend, or if you're someone who is concerned about your own drinking, give us a call. You can change your name. 
All we're getting is your first name. You can change where you're from. Just give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. If you'd prefer, send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Dr. Owens, hi. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. Good to be here. Really excited. And you got here really quickly. I did. But I drove the speed limit the entire way. That's great to know. I did. Dr. <laughs> Schumacher, thank you so much for being with us. And I'm sorry I've mispronounced your name twice already. I didn't hear the first time. So that's right. well, like easy for you to say. Surely. <laughs> Surely. Yeah, I was having a terrible time with it for some reason. Um, let, wait, I will always start with our guests by asking you to tell us about yourself. Sure. I'd be happy to. First, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to, excited to be here today. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a psychologist by training. Um, You can probably tell um, by my lack of accent. I'm not a native Mississippian. I actually grew up in California um, and I was a psychology major at Stanford University. Um, and then got, did my graduate work in psychology at the State University of New York at Stony Brook, which is on Long Island. I still got yeah, a little of that Long accent. Long Island. That's right. I'm from New Jersey, so I'm uh, I know it well. I Joycey. Joycey. And then I did a, a fellowship to actually spe- specialize in alcohol etiology and treatment at the Research Institute on Addictions in Buffalo, New York. Um, and then back in 2004, I was very excited to get out of the Buffalo snow and cloud cover and come down Buffalo. and yeah. Buffalo's close to Canada. It's it like is. it's like North Mississippi in just with lots of snow because it's like flat and there's lots of farmland in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. But it is it can be brutal cold. It's yeah. not the like bright lights, big city New York that most people think of when no, they think it's of New York dark. City. Buffalo's kind of dark, wouldn't but, you say? Yeah. Very Up, yes. Upstate New York's very different. It's like the difference between the Bills and so you, the Giants. So you took a big leap from <laughs> Buffalo to Mississippi? I did, yeah, back in 2004. I've been on the faculty at UMC in psychiatry since then, and uh, I love it. The sun shines almost every day here, and <laughs> people are wonderful. Yeah, do you really laugh when we kind of get our little snow warnings? Does it kind of make you laugh a little bit? It, it it does a bit, yes, because in, in California, I actually grew up um, in the foothills of the Cascades and where they made Buffalo look like it had no winter. And so, yeah, it's a bit funny when there's a flake in the sky and school is canceled. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the bread and milk is Absolutely. gone from the shelves. <laughs> you got to beat the rush to the, to the grocery store. And it's interesting because even when we have you know, heavy, quote, heavy snow for us, you, I always say you can always typically see a little bit of the grass. It's very nice. You can. You can. <laughs> do you specialize um, specifically on alcohol or do you go into other d- addictions as well? Um, I do work with substance use disorders more broadly. Often we find that the people who struggle with alcohol may be struggling with something else. And a lot of our, our treatments for those are similar. So I do both. Yeah. I think the first question has to be, is alcoholism a disease? I would say Yes. So um, alcoholism actually isn't a medical term. It's a popular term for it. We call it an alcohol use disorder. Um, We used to call it alcohol abuse independence. And recently we changed our wording to alcohol use disorder. Um, But it's it's definitely it's a medical condition. It's a chronic medical condition for many people, just like diabetes or heart disease or many of the other things. But you'll always hear from the person that says it's mind over matter. If you drink, you should be able to stop. Like if you smoke, you should be able to stop. Mm -hmm. You don't hear about tobacco addiction. 
you hear about alcohol, alcoholism, somebody who drinks too much. So is that a reasonable expectation that someone who drinks too much should be able to stop drinking? You know, that's a great question. I think it depends on the person. And we we do know that um, there's um, that alcohol use disorders runs in families. And that means some people um, seem to be more susceptible to the effects of alcohol, meaning that they could drink the same amount you or I do um, and have a harder time stopping than you or I would. Um, but we also know there are people who don't have it in their family and there's no evidence um, that they have those kinds of risk factors. But if they drink enough, they can lose control over their alcohol use also. So I, I really appreciate you, Karen, for asking that question, because I think that that that's kind of, you know, we we know that this month, April, yay, happy April, everybody. Welcome, April, um, is Alcoholism Awareness Month. And I think that that's that's kind of part of it, right? Like this, this is about, you know, the, the perceptions, the misperceptions and just the given having the opportunity to to let people know what we do know and what we are learning about something that we think we know also well and what you said was just really like struck a nerve with me is when you said well we don't hear about you know tobacco um addiction but the truth is that that it is an addictive process and um it's not strictly behavioral, that there are physiologic changes that occur in your bodies when you use different substances. And those things can individually impact your health. They can also impact your risk factors for other conditions. Um, and that there, the whole concept of this, of, of health as a continuum between both mind and body and how you don't really separate we can't really separate them very well and so you know how much of it is just psychological this mind concept and then what are those changes that actually occur when you are exposing yourself to a substance or when you start using a substance and then your body starts getting used to that and the things that happen when the use fluctuates or if there's a feeling that you get that reinforces that behavior or that exposure. And so then you want more of it and how you, it, it's not just always in the mind. And I think that that's a common misperception. And sometimes one of the barriers that people who struggle with substance use disorders, whether it's alcohol, whether it's something as simple, I say simple, but it's not really simple as stopping smoking. I mean, we know how many people struggle with that or any other illicit substance. I think that's one of the issues is that there may they may have been told or they may get um, signals from the society around them or from their environment. Oh, there's something wrong with you because you should just be able to flip that switch in your head and all of a sudden be able to walk away from it. And I think that that really does a disservice to how difficult it is for people who are struggling with substance use and substance abuse to undo all of those things that have slowly developed over time um, and just step back and walk away. The cold turkey concept, while it I'm sure has worked for many people in our listening audience, and it seems like it would make sense, is not really as easy and straightforward as it sometimes I think would seem to those of us, especially those of us who've never struggled with an issue related to addiction or illicit well, use. Well, you know, and so I don't know what the what the figure is. I would imagine a lot, a lot, a lot of people reach an age, 21, and they begin to drink socially. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the percentage is of the population, but I sure know a lot of people who drink socially and have a few drinks and they're fine. And yet there are those that at some point they're drinking more than socially. They're drinking because they have to drink. Mm-hmm. And you said earlier that everybody sort of handles alcohol differently. Does it make a difference why someone drinks you know, if they're drinking to self-medicate, does mm-hmm. that mean they're more likely to be addicted to alcohol? I think that's a great point. And there's different pathways to developing an alcohol use disorder. Um, so as Dr. Owen said, people who really enjoy the effects of alcohol and experience it very positively, they're at high risk. Um, but certainly we do know people who are struggling um, with um, childhood trauma that they haven't been able to move past or depression or stress in their relationship or things like that are at um, much higher risk for losing control over their alcohol use, starting to feel like they really need it um, as opposed to just wanting it or enjoying it. We're going to take our first break of the show. We invite you to call, particularly, I I just think that so many of us know someone that we suspect may have a a real drinking problem. If you're someone who knows someone like that, if you're someone who fears that you yourself may be having some problems, give us a call. It's completely anonymous. We don't have to know who you are or where you're from, really. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464, or email women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Jim Dees, host of the Thacker Mountain Radio Hour, inviting you to join us this Saturday night at 7 p.m. on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll feature two innovative authors, novelist Hannah Tinty and poet Rodney Jones, with music by Cody Rogers of the Holy Ghost Electric Show. That's this Saturday night at 7 p.m. on Mississippi Public Broadcasting, the Thacker Mountain Radio Hour. Here comes Jim D. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, women at mpbonline.org. We're back on Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown here with Dr. Michelle Owens and our special guest, Dr. Julie Schumacher, who is a psychologist. We're talking about alcoholism today. Although, as Dr. Schumacher told us, alcoholism is not a clinical term. How do you refer to it? 
alcohol use disorder. Alcohol use disorder. If you have a question or a comment, uh, we realize it's a very personal topic. It is a uh, a tragedy in many ways, but there's always a positive side to it. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. So you know now that we've gone to. Um alcohol use disorder, it can be an acronym, right? So now you can call it AUD. So you can hear the commercials already, right? Do you or someone you know have AUD? If you think this might be you, please contact. It's a, a, But I think it's good that you know, you've got we've gotten away from like labels and really it's more about designations, if that makes sense. That that little distinction, I think, is really important. Um, is it still common to use the term alcoholic to refer to people who have alcohol use disorders or is that has that term also started to kind of fall out of favor you know it it is still used the recovery community uses that a lot and many people embrace that i mean many people are probably familiar with alcoholics anonymous Mm -hmm. and often people introduce themselves you know saying you know i'm julie and i'm an alcoholic um hi julie that's what (laughs) thank you yes (laughs) You know the script. Um, And uh, many people find that to be a helpful part of their recovery. Um, But from a clinical perspective, we've tried to take that label off Mm -hmm. and really focus more on is alcohol causing you problems and is it something you need to change rather than attaching any kind of label like that that I think has... um, Develop some negative baggage over time yeah, in you our were, system. Um, you were telling me before we started the show that there are some confidential websites mm-hmm. that people who think they're dealing with a drinking problem themselves can go to to get information without anyone knowing who they are or why they're there. Yes. Can you share some of those with us? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so I imagine if, if people got into their search engine, they could find a lot. But the, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism provides a lot of great factual information about substance use disorders um, for um, citizens through researchers. So it's a very great research, resource. Um, also, as I was um, uh, looking on the web this week, I noticed a new resource I hadn't seen before. Um, it's um, something that's produced... Um, Um, by the folks at Boston University who have been really big in um, training the medical community in something called screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment, which is how you just start a conversation with patients about substance use disorders and help find out if there's a problem. Um, But they now have a website called alcoholscreening.org where you can go in and just answer some questions and it'll give you some feedback. Um, Mm Alcoholscreening.org. We have our first phone call of the show, so let's talk to Jolie calling from Red Bay, Alabama. Hi, Jolie. Hello. Good morning. What's your question? Well, I really don't have a question. I just, um, I was in my car driving and I I always listen to you guys. And uh, I really appreciate the topic. Um, you know, I, I'm an alcoholic in recovery, and I've been sober uh, 16 years. Well, congratulations to you for that. That's no small feat for sure. Well, you know, um, you know, and I'm part of the recovery community, of course. But, you know, I've never heard the term alcohol use. What, what was that you said? I've never heard that, that IUD, AUD. Alcohol use disorder. <laughs> yes, I have never, ever heard that. Well, um, I, so 
tell me now, Jolly, can you do us a favor and just kind of share with our listening audience? You said that you have been um, in recovery for 16 years. That is, that is an incredibly long time. So what would you say as a person who's actually walked this road? Um, what exactly would you say has been the key to your success? Like what has enabled you to stay sober and to stay on track, you know, for 16 years? Well, I have to tell you first that um, I got sober because I didn't want to die. And, uh, you know, that was got turned it. And, um, you know, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm still an Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, um, I think she's not success in sobriety is that I wanted to be sober. There's so many people, especially women, that um, come to a program, whether it's AA or at a hospital somewhere, they don't come because they want to come. They come because somebody's made them come. And that just sets up the scenario for a resentment. And it's hard to be sober when you're full of anger. Can I ask you, Jolie, how long did you drink? I drank from the time I was 11 until the time I was 36. Wow. And I'm glad that you said that, too, because when Karen talked about turning 21, I thought, well, yeah, that's in an ideal situation. (laughs) But the truth is that many people get introduced to alcohol, not at their 21st birthday bash, um, but... For many people, it's well before that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, Jolie, we thank you for calling, and congratulations on your sobriety. That is just incredible. You are amazing. That's great. Well, you know, you know, it's really God. You know, Um, I, I just, you know, I just say to myself every day, whatever you put in front of me is what I'm going to do, and through death and hurricanes and tornadoes and all kinds of tragedies that happen, you know, you stay sober no matter what. That's wonderful Mm -hmm. and such an inspirational message for those who might be listening, who may or may not pick up a phone, but who really needed to hear your message today. Thank you so much for calling and for sharing with us. Thank you for the topic. Good luck to you. Thank you. We're going to stay on the phone and say good morning to Keith, who's calling in from Tupelo. Go ahead, Keith. Uh, yes, hi, I'm Keith. I'm a person in long-term recovery from substance use disorder. And um, I just wanted to thank you all for bringing awareness uh, to um, substance use disorders, alcohol use uh, disorder in particular. And um, and uh, to say that there is hope, I, you know, I know you have a wide audience of uh, and, um, you know, people of faith, people with no faith, uh, recovery is possible. Um, you know, uh, for me, staying active in the recovery community uh, with people uh, like me has been key. And, uh, again, I just wanted to thank you all for, for bringing a, a spotlight to this issue. Well, thanks, Keith. And before you go, I just want to ask you something. You mentioned the importance of staying connected and people like you. I mean, how 
how important was it for you or did I guess a better way to ask because what I really want to know is did you feel alone and isolated before you actually began your recovery process was it good for you to actually see that there are other people who were experiencing similar things or who were struggling with the same things because I know that for many people a lot of times they feel like they are the only ones or they can feel very alone and isolated before they actually go into the process of recovery. And sometimes actually, depending on what it is, recovery can be isolating because you change your environment, you change your friends, you change those kinds of things. How, how was that for you? Uh, exactly as you said, I, I felt uh, so alone and isolated uh, prior to recovery, and um, I felt like no one was going through or, or feeling the same things that I felt and thought. And um, once I, um, you know, um, began involvement with the recovery community, um, and and mine, my pathway happened to be uh, 12-step recovery, um, you know, things... I started to see that there were many, many others. Um, you know, the one thing with, with the 12-step uh, community is uh, the anonymity uh, can be uh, can be a barrier to uh, the wider community of knowing that recovery is possible. So, you know, recovery community organizations are popping up around Mississippi, and um, we speak out about, um, about our recovery, um, and uh, which is critical to get the message out to those that are that are still suffering and don't have hope and don't know that there is a way out. Keith, how long um, have you been in recovery? Uh, nine years. Awesome. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's changed my life. I've I've been homeless all over the United States and uh, in my active addiction and. Um, Recovery has given me a new life uh, to look forward to every, you know, each day. So, uh, well, there's a testament to share with absolutely the listening audience. Thank I you so much excited. for calling. I got like Keith. chills. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Keith. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. And we and wish you continued health. Good absolutely health. Absolutely on your journey. I love that. He said it has given him a new life. Mm-hmm. And how how amazing is that? Like because I think for many people it may there may be pain, trauma, all of those things that can contribute to, you know, substance use or alcohol use. Those things that, you know, you can if you just want to drink to numb the pain or whatever, to hear someone who has been there and who now is has turned over that new leaf, who's walking that still very difficult journey of recovery. But to say that that like they have a new life, it doesn't erase the things that have happened to you, but it doesn't those things, those many people have endured terrible things, none of which might have been their fault at all. But whether it's your fault or not, your past, that history that has happened, whatever it is that makes you want to just drink till you see the bottom of the bottle or numb the pain like that through recovery, you can experience that renewal. You can have that new day every morning where your life is taking a different path or a different direction. And it doesn't have to be that you stay stuck 
in whatever painful situation or circumstance it is that has you bound at that moment. I think that's a great, great story. We do want to hear from you. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. Now we just heard two wonderful stories of recovery. And that's great and I think it's inspiring. However, if you're listening and you're drinking and you want to stop and you don't know how to stop, call in. Call the number because Dr. Schumacher is here and she can tell you some things to do or to think about at least. Or if you are a family member who has a loved one with a drinking problem, give us a call because Dr. Schumacher is here and she can help you. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What do you do if, you're, if your sister you think is an alcoholic? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't acknowledge it. No, I'm fine, but you're pretty sure that she is. What do you do in that circumstance? So if you're in that environment or have that problem, then give us a call because there is help here. Um, and in fact, I wanted to ask you before we take our next break, what are some warning signs? If someone thinks, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if I drink too much. I wonder if I have a problem. What are some things that would help tip them off that, yes, I do have a problem? Okay. Well, I think there's there's a great acronym. It's C-A-G-E or CAGE that we actually um, train um, physicians and other providers to use. And the first thing is if, if you think you probably need to cut down, that's a pretty pretty good indicator that you may need to. And then the A is, do other people annoy you by talking about your drinking and, and suggesting you should cut down or suggesting it's a problem? So if others are annoying you about it, that might be another indicator. The other one is, if you ever feel bad or guilty about your drinking, that's another indicator we look for that there might be a problem. And the last one, the E stands for eye opener. And what that refers to is, do you ever need a drink first thing in the morning just to get going or to recover from the night before? And so if you say yes to one of those, you might have a problem. If you say yes to two, you probably do. And it's a good time to reach out to your primary care provider um, or do one of those online screenings or reach out in some way to get some more information and support. What's the likelihood that someone who, say, for example, they just caged themselves and <laughs> and they they're three out of four yeses. And so then a lot of times people feel like, well, before I go to seek some help, let me see what I can do myself. Mm-hmm. What's the likelihood that you can I mean, is it better to have someone to help you along that journey or um, is this kind of one of those things where, yeah, you can just kind of wing it for the first six months or a year and try to fix it yourself? I think that is a great question. And especially when we're talking about alcohol per se, there's good evidence that some people, but this is not all people, and we don't know for sure who can, that if they just decide they want to make a change and take steps, they actually can. Um, The one thing we want to be careful about with alcohol is we know that the withdrawal syndrome that comes along with alcohol can be pretty dangerous. And so you certainly, if you're drinking pretty heavily and regularly, don't want to stop cold turkey um, and probably do want to reach out to a physician um, who can help you safely um, come off the alcohol. We need to take our second break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to ask you about 
Can you cut back on drinking or do you have to stop completely? If you want to give us a call, we certainly invite that at one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 or send an email to women at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Southern Remedy for Women here on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. you have a vehicle that you no longer need and is collecting dust, we have a solution. Donate it to MPB. Your donation will go towards supporting your favorite programs that keep the community informed. To get more information about our car donation program, call us at 877-MPB-4-CAR or visit mpbonline.org support. And trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1 877 MPB Bring. That's 1 877 672 7464. Or you can email the show women at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Dr. Michelle Owens is here, and so is Dr. Julie Schumacher. She is a psychologist uh, and a research scientist who focuses on addiction and human behavior. We're talking about alcoholism today, or, or the clinical term, which is alcohol use disorder. And we invite your phone calls or co- with questions or comments regarding this topic. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one 877 you can also email us if you'd prefer to women at mpbonline.org. Now, I do want to ask you that question I asked beforehand. Can you be someone with alcohol use disorder and cut back on drinking or do you have to quit altogether? Mm-hmm. The, the general recommendation is that once you've crossed into the line to alcohol use disorder, disorder, especially if you're showing signs of um, what we call physiological dependence, that you've developed a tolerance to alcohol, meaning you need to drink more um, to feel the same effects. The buzz. The buzz, yes. <laughs> um, or um, that you do experience some withdrawal, that if you go periods without drinking, the the general clinical recommendation is that abstinence is going to be your best bet um, to have a healthy long-term outcome. 
Um, I'm guessing we have some listeners who um, had pretty severe alcohol use disorder and now um, drink are able to control their drinking, but it's it's just a less likely outcome, so it's not something we recommend. All of our phone lines just lit up, every one of them, so we're going to go to the phones. Joan is calling in from Jackson. Joan, go ahead. Joan? Hello. Good morning. Hi. Hey, Joan. Yes, I just wanted to answer a question quickly, and then I'll hang up. Uh, what to do if um, you know someone, a relative of yours, who you think is an alcoholic, my recommendation would be definitely go to Alanurin for yourself. And in terms of him, do not, um, oh, I forgot the word, do not... Uh, Engage, or not to confront them, or confront yes, them, enable him, or enable. Okay, and good. And those are my thoughts. Thank you. Thank you very much for calling, Joan. I think that's really poignant. Don't not to not to be an enabler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes, depending on who that person is and and how close they are to you. It may, I mean, it's a difficult conversation mm-hmm. and you may actually need help in, um, in beginning that conversation or in initiating conversations about that. And think about how an alcoholic's, uh, if you're close to an alcoholic, how they're, what they're doing affects you Absolutely. so much and why Al-Anon mm-hmm. is very helpful in yes. that way. Yeah, it is very helpful to get that kind of support. Back to the phones we go. Terry is calling in from Ridgeland. Hi, Terry. Hello. Hi. What's your question? Uh, yeah, I wanted to make a comment, and I liked what you said about uh, how you could tell if, uh, signs that you may be an alcoholic, but uh, one that uh, we've um, identified as uh, controlled drinking. If you have the ability, if you think you may be an alcoholic, go go out and uh, try to have a controlled drinking session. Drink a drink or two and go home. If uh, either you can't do that or it just annoys you very badly, there's a pretty good chance that uh, you're an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's great advice because actually one of our symptoms of alcohol use disorder is have you tried to cut down and you can't? Or have you thought you should cut down but you can't? And so, yeah, testing that is a great idea. Well, especially in that situation. If you're out with friends... Mm-hmm. And and everybody's drinking. Can yeah. you stop after one or two? Can you push it down and be like, no, I'm good. And that and you know the the social pressure again. We were talking about like different um, experiences of isolation. Um, you know, it takes a lot of courage. I think when you are a person who is in the midst of you know friends or whatever, and they are drinking and having a good time. Um, and for you to be able to say, no, I've had enough and not, oh, no, one more. The people who just like, oh, shots for everybody. And you know that you kind of are at your limit. I mean, I'm sure that there are many people who've been in that kind of situation where somebody has tried to get them to continue. And, you know, in your mind, hey, this is enough for me, whether or not you actually have the ability to to say no um, or or whether or not you feel compelled whether it's socially or for other reasons, to continue. Terry, great uh, comment. We well, appreciate uh, that. Uh, Go ahead. Way uh, you can tell is, uh, you know, a normal drinker, you go out and have a drink or two, you feel a little bit woozy, a little bit out of control, maybe even start toward a little bit of sickness. The, the alcoholic, uh, the drinking makes them feel more in control, more powerful. They, uh, you know, feel like they're having more insight and all that other stuff. And that's uh, that that's a clear case. If you have a drink or two and 
you know, the room starts spinning and you're uncomfortable uh, versus the person that, uh, oh, man, you know, this is, uh, you know, octane for, for me. That's um, anyway. Okay, great. My, my, two, my two bits. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Thanks so Terry. much for sharing, Terry. And we stay on the phone. How much of this, I mean, so how much do you, of what you see is um, is about power and control? I mean, do, is it, does use of alcohol, do you see that very often in people who sometimes will struggle with alcohol use disorders, that power and control, like they feel more empowered and more in control when they drink as opposed to when they don't? I, I think people probably experience it differently but as you've developed problems with alcohol um i think you feel you may feel more normal when you drink and so whether that's feeling sort of more powerful and competent um we do see that a lot you know in social situations you know there might be um men or women who can't speak to potential um potential mates unless they've had something to drink and so they just feel more sort of comfortable and at ease and that could be the dis the disinhibition so it's like Mm -hmm. kind of removing the inhibitions and the insecurities maybe by uh alcohol consumption but that can make alcohol use very appealing if it gives you ryan is on the phone calling from tupelo hi ryan yeah, how you doing? We're great. doing great. What's your question? Um, basically, um, first of all, I didn't know if it was just something for women. Um, no, 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 no. We're we're for everybody. <laughs> I just wanted to share. I just wanted to share that I have um, five years of sobriety. I was listening in and uh, clean and sober for five years. That's where, great. Congratulations. Congratulations. Where, where there wasn't a court system that told me that I had to uh, get clean, you know, I had um, I had a lot of resentment probably in my life that drew me to being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And um, over probably the last six years, um, shortcomings in my life, there was relapse within that, but there wasn't reservations. Um, to go back out and use and you know you guys are talking about more i don't know if it's program or scientific sides but um i haven't been to a meeting in five years um and i just think it's important that um whatever works for one person Mm -hmm. we can share that and um we can take little things and, and everything doesn't work for everybody so whatever works for one person might not work for someone else or it might. And, um, you know, you can pretty much do anything. Um, I believe in Christ Jesus who strengthens you, Philippians 4.13. So, I mean, uh, more or less that you you can, um, you can accomplish all things where you don't have to use no matter what. Um, no matter what you go through in life, whether you're lonely, uh, tired, or hungry, you just you don't have to pick up, you don't have to drink. Um, it's just like a shortcoming. Um, you deal with life on life, life's terms and don't use no matter what. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you sharing that. And I like what you said when uh, because I think that's another important part. The, the road to recovery is not always straight, and there may be times when you veer off the road, but the most important thing is that you keep your, your eyes fixed on 
that thing that is your ultimate goal. And if your ultimate goal is sobriety, I mean, you can always you can always start over. You can always start over with day number one. Um, and the truth is, and we were talking about this during the break um, where Dr. Schumacher said, you know, some people may be turned off by a 12 step program or it may not work for them just because one particular program doesn't work for you doesn't mean that you can't achieve sobriety. So if you try that and it doesn't resonate with you, if it's not the thing that really like moves your spirit or motivates you, if it's not the right environment, that's okay. It's great that those exist for the people for whom it works well, but just don't stop looking for that thing that works for you, that gives you the support that you need in order to be that person that you want to be, to get to that condition that you want to be in. And I think what you said is, is, is spot on. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, there could become addictive um, behavior within that. That's all kind of in your shortcomings and stuff like that. And it could be done through step work or even sponsorship, but um, you oh. just have to make that choice to, to stop. Absolutely. Brian, we wish, you, we wish you well in your continued sobriety. Absolutely. And thank you so much for calling. Yeah. Oops, I just cut him off. I'm sorry, Ryan, but thank you for calling. Our phone lines are so busy, I want to get through as many as we can. Sue is calling in from Beaumont. Go ahead, Sue. Yes, uh, life can be cold and hard and, and stressful, and I think... Uh, People drink, some people drink to blur reality because it's hard to face reality. And it's like you put a screen between yourself and real life, any addiction. That, But an addictive personality, I've noticed if they stop drinking, they will take up some other addiction like drugs or food or gambling, some, some other addiction. Have you noticed that to be true? Dr. Schumacher? Sure. Um, I think that is certainly true for some people, um, and especially in the situation you described where there's some stresses or issues or things going on that need to be addressed and the, the alcohol is being used to cope with that. Um, if the person doesn't reach out for whatever kind of help, whether it's seeing a psychologist like me um, or getting some other kind of help, it may well happen that they turn to another addictive behavior to cope um, because they, they aren't managing without that. Kind of like Kojak, right? Like, he, it, didn't he... I don't remember he, Kojak. Sorry, Tony Savalas <laughs> and the Kojak thing, but that was the thing. Years. You're too young for that. Kojak and the suckers, right? That yeah, was, he, he did that because, But the, the lolly... Another thing, I noticed that it's, that it's an oral addiction. I mean, yeah. food and alcohol and, and uh, things like that, it's things you put in your mouth. Yeah, but the lollipop was because he stopped smoking, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of why he did that. So he replaced the smoking with the lollipops. So it's like a pacifier. <laughs> Yes, of sorts, <laughs> I, I guess. Um. Sue, thank you so much for calling. You bring up a great point. We appreciate it. And now we go to Linda calling in from Port Gibson. Hi, Linda. Hi. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, I lost my sister in August of uh, last year. Uh, she was an alcoholic, and uh, she never... She never went through, through the uh, 12-step program. A lot of people uh, suggested that she did, but she never gone through the 12-step program. Uh, um, and not only that, but uh, her last 
child had fetal alcohol syndrome. And uh, can you speak a little about uh, the effects of fetal alcohol syndrome on a child? Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I'd love to do that. But first of all, Linda, because you you support us quite frequently, and uh, thank you so much for calling in and, and for sharing that part of your life with us and our listening audience. So I just want to express my my condolences to you for the loss of your sister, um, and and especially when you talked about just how it seems that she struggled with this for quite a bit of time in her life. Um, yeah. One of the things that we hadn't quite talked about is about safe amounts of alcohol. And I think this is kind of one of those things where I get to put on my OBGYN hat and get on my soapbox. Um, there's not been a safe amount of alcohol consumption determined in pregnancy. And so what we counsel women is that they should abstain from alcohol during pregnancy. Well, when sh- if I'm drinking, when should I stop? You should stop when you know you're pregnant. You should stop when you think you're pregnant. You should stop if you want to get pregnant. Um, and while I know people have heard mixed messages and somebody will say, oh, one or two drinks is not going to make a difference. The truth is that you do put your baby at risk for behavioral problems, for structural malformations. Fetal alcohol syndrome is one of the most preventable forms of mental retardation in children. That is something that you have complete control and autonomy over. And and so don't get the mixed message. Forget what you've heard. If anybody has told you, oh, well, one or two drinks is safe, you need to ask them to show you the data because there is no information that shows what the safe limit is. And so we don't recommend that pregnant women drink. So um, and and to hear you say that, I think there are not a lot of people who may know of a child who's born with fetal alcohol syndrome or that baby may have fetal alcohol syndrome and you just don't know that that's what it's from. But that is something that is very common in women who um, who consume alcohol during pregnancy. And we haven't been able to establish a cutoff where we say, oh, if you have three drinks or less, your baby's going to be normal. If you have five drinks, it's not going to be normal. We don't know. And the other thing is that 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 alcohol can be neurotoxic. And when I use that term, it means that it can be damaging to the brain and nerve development. And so if you have that, we don't know how it could affect your child. And so for that reason, across the board, the recommendations are that pregnant women should not drink. All right, Linda, thank you so much. We're going to get through our remaining calls. Good question. We appreciate your call. Um, We are not taking calls at this point because we want to get the last couple in before the end of the show. And Lee is calling in from Jones County. Lee, go ahead. Lee, are you there? Hello. Lee? Okay. So, um, well, Lee, if you if you can get back in, then we'd love to know what your question is. Or if not, you can definitely still send us an email um, because if you need some additional information, we'd be happy to do that. I meant to put you on hold, Lee, and I actually cut you off. I apologize. Well, you can send for us that. an email, women at mpbonline.org. Right, we'd be happy to answer that for you. And now, finally, our last call is Alan, who's uh, on the road somewhere. Alan, go ahead. Yes, ma'am. You all doing all right today? Doing We're great. Doing thanks. Great. How are you? Okay, okay, well, I've, I've been sober about 19 years, and I just wanted to call and encourage the ones that have called in uh, to, uh, you know, just be encouraged and, and keep looking forward. And 
I appreciate the job that you all are doing. Well, Alan, thank you so much. Can you tell me one thing? Let me be nosy. So, Alan, is you said it's been 19 years. Is it is it easier today than it was that first day? Well, actually, for me, it is. I I kind of been wondering. I wanted to ask a question, but I noticed it wasn't a lot of time. Uh, I don't want to drink anything else. I don't want to smoke anything else. And every time, you know, if the opportunity come up, I just can't see myself doing it because it just it just wasn't a good life for me. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing but bad came out of it. Alan, we haven't talked about it. Let me ask you this. Did you hit rock bottom? You always hear about people who stop drinking because they hit rock bottom. I I would say that uh, I did in a way, you know, I wasn't down and out in industry. I, I, I had been there, and, you know, I still didn't stop. So when I went back home, I was doing good. But, you know, the people surround me and they cared about me, I could see I was hurting them. And I really wanted to quit, but I couldn't until I asked God to save me. And from that morning, when I asked him to save me, I haven't had a drop of alcohol, a drop of crack, a drop of marijuana since that morning. Well, that is wonderful. Wow. And you've had, and we're, here we are 19 years later, and you are tooling along and encouraging other people. Yes, ma'am. That is wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you, Alan. And we have a couple of emails here. I'm going to go through them quickly. I've heard that there's a difference between someone who suffers from alcoholism and someone who drinks too much. Is there a difference? There there sure is. Um, And this gets to what Dr. Owens was asking. For for women, um, what's considered moderate drinking is actually no more than one drink per day. So that's seven per week. Um, And with women, we never recommend that they have more than three per occasion. Um, And pregnant women... It's none at all. Okay, I want to move on because we have two more. As a 62-year-old female, I've struggled with addiction all my life. I'm now three years sober, but sugar is going to kill me, and I mean that literally. How do I break that addiction? Mm Mm-hmm. That that's a a great question, um, and there's more and more evidence coming out that it's it's the same structures in the brain. Um, it's the re- the reward system in our brain, the things that makes things um, rewarding or appealing to us. That's involved in all those kinds of behaviors. Um, I'd encourage you first um, to start out, raise it with your primary care physician if you haven't, um, and they can really help you work on developing a plan um, to address that. All right, one minute for our last email. What do you say to a person who? who likes or says they're better when they're drinking or smoking pot. What does it matter if you can identify this person as having a problem with substance abuse when they have no interest in changing? Mm-hmm. Um, they're the life of the party. You know, they're just so much fun to be around, at least in their own mind. Right. Um there's not one great thing to say. Um, you know, somebody before had recommended Al-Anon. Um, there's another treatment approach that we're working with some um, facilities in this state to get out there called um, Community Reinforcement and Family Therapy. It just talks about different ways um, to not just talk about the problems with substances, but to, to change the way you interact with the person so that um, it makes it harder for them to, to continue using the substances. Well, before we leave, I do need to ask, because um, we're almost done here, can you give us a website again? Can you give us a phone number that people can call if they really want to quit? 
Um, I didn't bring a phone number with me, but okay. I, I would recommend um, alcoholscreening.org. So alcohol screening with no spaces in it, dot O-R-G. Um, and then also the, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. If you put that in a search engine, they can direct you to a lot of resources. Pregnant drinking, don't do it. Teen drinking, don't do it, don't start. Um, both of those kind of increase your risk significantly. And there is a link between alcoholism or alcohol use and domestic violence. If you are in an unsafe situation, seek help. Thank you. And Dr. Julia. Julie Schumacher, thank you very much for coming in today. Southern Remedy for Women is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It's funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by generous support from the MPB Foundation. Today's show is engineered by Jay White, our call screener, Java Chapman. Thanks for listening. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.